and have a free week of camp, and it's super exciting. And so um, they had gathered their volunteers for a morning of training, and they invited me in. And I don't know about you, but when I am super tired, it always impacts my words. Uh, I talk a mile a minute, but when I'm tired, I get a little bit more clumsy with my speech. My words tend to blur together. And I remember that morning going, oh, it's going to be one of those mornings. Okay, and so I even remember before going into uh, the volunteer training room, looking at my colleague being like, I need you to pray because my words are not working for me this morning. And so I got in front of the volunteer group and I was talking and we were sharing and then I was saying one word and in mid-word I was like, no, that's not what I want to say and I pivoted to another word. Well, those two words together sounded like a very spicy four-letter word. And I was like, oh, did that, that sounded like, uh-oh. But I looked across the room, right, because I'm like still talking, I'm talking, and I'm just like surveying the room and being like, okay, nobody's shocked, because that was a shocking word. Nobody's shocked. So I'm just going to keep on going, pretend like nothing happened, right? And uh, I'll, the, you know, the training concluded, and nobody said anything, and I was like, okay, we're in the clear. And then I even sent a follow-up email to the pastor on Monday. And I was like, hey, just checking in. Wanted to see, do you want me to change anything? Or how did it go? And she, she was like, no, Missy, that was great. We're so excited to have you back again on Saturday to share to the second half of the volunteers. And I was like, great, okay, we're in the clear. I'm good, nobody heard anything. I, it must have just been me. And so I go back to the training on Saturday, the next Saturday, and I got there early, so I'm talking with the leadership, and I was telling them about Olive Crest and our corporate sponsors, and we have one corporate sponsor that has a spicy name. And so I said the name, and I said, I, I know I hope you're not offended. The name of the company is this. And they were like, oh, Missy, why would, be, why would we be offended? You dropped the F-bomb last week. <laughs> And I was mortified. I was absolutely mortified. And I was like, so we did hear that. We heard that. Okay. And again, I don't know who was more mortified, me or my boss, when I told her the next day. Um, but we've all had moments like that, right, where we wish we could go back, we could rewind, and we could redo them, right? They're affectionately known as uh, foot-in-mouth moments. Uh, that story was a huge foot and mouth story for me, and I'm still dying a slow death of embarrassment. Um, but may the Lord use the foolishness of man. Am I right? Uh, James shares with us that our words, our words have power, and they have the power of life and death. Uh, James 3 outlines what essentially happens uh, when we talk. Um, but before we dive into James 3, let's go back um, and let's remember that in James 1.19, James says, everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. Uh, somebody told me once that the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth because we need to listen more than we need to talk. Um, but why is it so important to listen? Uh, my mom growing up had this phrase that she would say often and said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, that was Abraham Lincoln. And I, I think it's a good saying, but when I think what he was trying to say, um, 
is reminiscent of Proverbs 10, 19, which says this, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Um, If you recall, James' general letter here is a commentary on Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, as well as a reflection of his very own upbringing in the book of Proverbs. So the more we talk, the more words we use, the greater opportunity there is to hurt someone. So again, the more we talk, the more words we use, the greater opportunity there is to hurt someone, injure their spirit. Uh, You know this, right? Um, Can you think of unkind words that were said to you that just like stuck in your spirit? Uh, Maybe the words your father used growing up or the words your teacher used one time in class or the words your spouse used, or the first time your child told you in anger that they hated you. Yeah, all of these are moments where someone was using their tongue for death. They were using their tongue as a weapon. Another saying I've heard is that the tongue is kept behind a cage of teeth and lips because it's so powerful it needs to be contained. James essentially in verse 2 says that if you are able to master the tongue, you would be a perfect person. So let's read. James 3, 2 says this, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. This analogy isn't completely lost to those of us in this room. Um, I know Encinitas has horses and horse trails, and I remember when I was really young, I thought horses were so cool. I, I wasn't quite a horse girl, but I just thought they were like really neat, and I wanted to, you know, ride them, and my mom obliged, and um, I'll never forget walking up. Our, it, it was a horse lesson, but it was really my neighbor with a horse. I didn't know I was a kid, right? And so I'll never forget getting on this huge animal and taking the reins. And she had done an instruction, right? But it essentially was like, this is what you do now. Get on up there. And I was like, I can do this. As a seven-year-old, you think you can do a lot. And so I hopped on the horse and I took the reins. And the instructor was in front of me on her horse. And I just started, you know, my right arm started to come back. And the horse just slowly started to turn. And I was like, what's happening? And then the, we just started doing circles, slow circles. And finally, and I wasn't making a sound because I thought I was riding a horse. You know, I was like, I got this. But the instructor looked back and, and she <laughs> figured out what was going on. Um, and she corrected me. But that's, that's the comparison that James is making is that if you control that itty bitty thing in a horse's mouth, you control the whole horse, Right? And in the same way, if we can control that itty-bitty thing in our mouth, then we can control our whole body. Let's go on. Uh, James 3 through 4 says, Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Once again, something so very small changes the course of a vessel, that weighs tons. Um, 
While a, a big old boat might have been applicable in James's time, I'm not sure there's many of us in here who own a big boat or are fishermen or fisherwomen or fisher people, but I bet many of us in here surf or at least are familiar with a surfboard, right? And so what do surfboards have? They have fins. Fins are about 5% of the length of the whole surfboard, and yet they send you in the direction, they help guide you in the direction that you want to go. If you have a fin that's angled, doomsday, right? Or if you don't have fins, doomsday. So James goes on to say, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Something so small can have such a great impact. He goes on, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? This is an analogy that all of us, all San Diegans can understand, right? Remember the Witch Creek fires in 2007? A fire that was started by a wind-whipped power line. Again, such a small act. And that small act ended up burning close to 200,000 acres, destroying 365 homes, causing the evacuation of half a million people, of which my family was one. Maybe your family had to evacuate as well. James is saying that our tongue, such a small member of our body, has the same power to destroy. And, and we understand how mind-boggling it is that something so small can cause such a destruction. We've seen the physical destruction of fires, but how do we correlate that with unseen emotional damage, right, which is caused from the words that we inflict? A Peg Streep, who's an author of Mean Mothers, Overcoming the Legacy of Hurt, interviewed women as a part of her research, women who were victims of verbal abuse, and they shared that they wished they'd been hit, so they had wounds and scars from the pain they experienced. In another study, researchers found that the effects of parental verbal aggression were comparable to those associated witnessing domestic violence or non-familial sexual abuse. Just sit with that for a second. I'll never forget the words growing up, or even, even to this day, um, people saying some really insensitive things once they found out I was adopted. They would ask me things like, oh, well, do you know your real parents? And I would snap back and i say, I do know my real parents, I live with them. Or when I was in fourth grade and I had my classmates say to ask me if I was like little orphan Annie. And these stories, the words that are shared or questions that are asked with um, those who are adopted or those are in foster care, they're not abnormal. Uh, I, off, I know our foster or even our host families are told things like, you're crazy. Or they'll say, people will say things like, aren't you worried about the damage um, for your own kids, what they'll go through if you bring in kids that need a home. Um, or I've even heard um, people say to them, you can't do this, or you shouldn't be doing this. The, the words we use matter. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so far, we've heard comparison that words are like forest fires, they're like death, um, but buckle up, 
because James also compares it to a fiery flame from hell. James 3, 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Yikes. And, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. I'm sure you can remember the deadly poison from childhood, right? The school bully or your classmate. And the interesting thing about poison, if we think about it, is that it leaves a mark. Nobody ingests or gets hit with poison and just gets back to feeling 100. It fundamentally changes something. Um, in a recent study done, researchers learned that the middle school years are particularly shaping for kids and that those who go through consistent verbal bullying, it actually causes changes in the white matter of their brain. It's easy to think that our words don't actually inflict damage because they're just words, right? But research is showing that not only do they inflict emotional damage, but words have the ability to impact physical damage. James 3.9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, those things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. The same mouth that we yelled at our children or snipped at our spouse on the way to church is the same mouth that sings praise worship at the beginning of service. The same mouth that said those terrible things about your colleague is the same mouth that offers up prayers to our perfect and holy God. James says, listen, this is unnatural. There is nothing that produces both bad and good. There isn't anything in nature that has these dual purposes. What water source produces both fresh and salt? What palm tree also produces an oak branch? Nothing. And yet here we are with this tongue that whispers both blessings and cursings. The funny thing about this text is that that's where it ends. Uh, verse 13, James makes a hard pivot and talks about something totally different. And, and I don't know why he did it. Why just have like, such a hard end to the passage? Was he recently wounded by words? Or was he tired of hearing from the first century Christians about how they were done with being persecuted and they'd rather not have chosen to follow Jesus? Or was he just trying to make a point? and saying that if you can tame the tongue, you are wise and discerning, full stop. Many scholars agree that if you mastered the tongue, you mastered yourself. And, and what more is there to understand, right? Many words leads to sinful behavior. And, and I don't know, but I know as a believer that James is writing to us in this room that we've got to do better. We've got to do better than the sarcastic humor that just runs rampant in our culture. And guys, I have to tell you, I am the chief sinner 
Like, I have, I, my husband can attest to this. I hope he doesn't attest too much, but I know he can. This is an area where I struggle, and when I'm tired, when I'm angry, when I just want to get control of a disagreement, I will pop off. I mean, why do so many couples go to therapy, right? Why did Jake and I go to therapy the first year of our marriage? The clinical way to say this would be because we needed to work on communication. But another way to say it would be that we had lost control of our words and we needed tools to help. And we needed the spirit to intervene so that we could honor one another. It would be easy to throw in the towel after messing up so many times, saying things like, listen, I tried, but I just can't do it, right? Or if he or she didn't say X, Y, or Z, then I wouldn't have responded with X, Y, or Z. Our, our words carry too much weight to give up on restraining them. And as a believer, there is a hope and a way. Romans 6.12 says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This is good news for us, folks. Sin shall not master over us. Our sinful words, our hurtful words, our gossip, sometimes slander, they shall not be masters over us. This is good news. You know, if you're a mom and you're upset, and you mouth off to one of your kids again, or maybe you're a daughter that said some regrettable things to your mom, or maybe you're an employee that has a hard time not gossiping about that one less than stellar employee. Sin does not have mastery over you. There is hope. There is another way. Uh, and maybe you're like, that's great. This is great and all, Missy. I really appreciate this, but like, I know myself. I know how I get and I, and I really know my favorite four-letter word, so I need some practical help. So let's get into it. The first is to submit. Submit yourself in prayer every day before the Lord. And maybe you're like, I know, I know that prayer changes things, but like, how do I do that? Like, how do I practically do that? And I'm just curious if, if you've ever tried submitting your words to the Lord every morning. Have you prayed about the conversations that will come up in the day? Have you ever considered praying for them the first thing in the morning? And maybe, and maybe you're like, you know, I hear about prayer and I get it and I see people pray and they use a lot of words. But the whole point of this, as we've learned, is like sometimes in so many words, we still sin. And so there is this ancient form of prayer called breath prayer. And this practice was developed by the Desert Fathers who took 1 Thessalonians 5.17 pray without ceasing very seriously. And it's meant to cause you to remember and invite God into your present moment with simple words or a few quick phrases. Um, and since James earlier said, let's be slow to speak and quick to listen. 
I would say maybe use slow as that breath prayer. So everyone say it with me, slow, slow. Um, And when you say that and when you're in your day and you have that temptation to sin, whether that is to gossip or to snap back at your spouse or to say something unkind to your friend, instead you just whisper slow. And you're, you're pausing and you're inviting the Lord into that moment. And you're also causing your mind to be fixed on something higher, something better than yourself. And we should be doing this daily and before we're even presented the opportunity to hurt someone. Um, so every morning before you hop in the car for work or moms and dads as you're making coffee before the kids are even up, uh, submit yourself in prayer. Uh, then let's say, so that's, so that's what we all should do as like part of our daily practices, right? Um, but let's say there's been an argument or let's say, um, or as Jake and I like to call it, a discussion. Um, that's where our next point comes into play and that is to search. Um, why is it particularly alarming when the words of a person are full of malice and anger? Uh, because it's a reflection of the heart. In Matthew 12, 34, uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, also known as the religious leaders of the time, and they had all sorts of words for Jesus. And Jesus responded to them and said, for the mouth, for out of the mouth, excuse me, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Again, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And our natural bent is sinful, right? Because we're fallen people, and when we operate out of what we once were, at children of wrath, then our words will tend to follow suit. Um, so we have to pray Psalm 139, 12, which says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you areas that you have not submitted to Christ. Let Christ reveal to you the areas that you get defensive about and then lash out at others. That's where arguments or discussions typically come from, right? They've poked something that you're sensitive about. And what we're asking God to is, what we're asking God into is to reveal what that, why that was so tender. Was that person coming after your reputation? Or were they insulting your appearance? Or maybe it felt like they were going after your intelligence or maybe your leadership style. Uh, what was the real root of why you mouthed off to your friend or your spouse? Have you felt looked over in your marriage or do you feel lonely? Or in your friendships, why did it fe- were you harboring something against that friend that you really needed to talk to them about, but instead it's just easier to grab those hurtful words? Let Christ search your heart and offer up the idols. And the third is to repent. (laughs) The words you have said have caused injury. And the only way to fix them is to say, I'm sorry. And guys, what's going to be hard about this is that sometimes you're going to have to apologize for things that you didn't think was hurtful. Can you think of a time you said something and you watched your friend's face just drop Right? You had no idea that what you said hurt them, was going to hurt them. You didn't mean it intentionally, but you just saw their face kind of contort, right? Or maybe your 
spouse or your boyfriend and girlfriend, you saw their body kind of shift, those are indicators that what you have said, intentional or not, impacted them. And so you have to repent. You have to say, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry is a full sentence. Uh, You don't get to say, well, I'm sorry, but if you didn't do X, Y, and Z, then I wouldn't have done that, right? I don't know about you, but that is not an apology to me. You can say, I'm sorry. And if you're feeling like a real all-star, you can say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I can see your face responding. I can see I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, Andy Stanley, um, he's a pastor in the South, he just shared a phenomenal sermon a few weeks ago about the weight of words, and he says it this way, intent doesn't remove the dent. So that means saying things like, oh, it was a joke, or oh, I didn't mean it that way, or oh, I'm just kidding. That doesn't remove the damage you did with your words. But again, what you can do is you can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made you feel that way. And then the fourth step is repair. Uh, Just as Andy Stanley says there's now a dent, I want you guys to think of your car, right? Think about when you get a dent in your car. Uh, You had to, what do you had to do to fix it, right? You had to call the local shop, see if they had an appointment. And then if they, you probably had to wait a day to get that appointment. So then you go the next day and you drive your car to the shop. And then once you get to the shop there, you either leave the car or you call Uber to go home. And then once you get home, you see, like, repairing a dent takes time, right? Just as fixing a dent in the relationship is also going to take time. So you work on repairing. And first, you repair yourself, your heart, your relationship with the Lord. You start diving into scripture. And maybe breath prayer isn't your thing, um, but maybe you want to try memorizing scripture. And I'd recommend Psalm 19:14 that says, "May the words of my heart and the meditation, excuse me, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer." And if you don't like that verse, fun fact, lots of verses in the Bible to help you with controlling your words. And when you memorize them, you get them deep into your bones so that the next time that you're angry or you're bitter or you're frustrated, uh, you don't turn to those hurting words. You remember that verse that the Holy Spirit reminds you of. So you use prayer, you use memorization, And then you work on repairing your relationship with the person you've injured. Um, And maybe it looks like speaking their love language. Uh, My husband's love language is quality time. And so I make a point to sit next to him on the couch while he's watching sports. I don't understand sports, but he does. So I will sit there and work on repairing that relationship. Or maybe it looks like going on an errand. He's the errand guy in our marriage. And I know he can run all errands by himself, fully capable. But working on repairing the relationship means I, too, get to go to Home Depot or Target. Um, But my love language, it feels like more and more I'm realizing, is gifts. And so Jake will bring me home flowers or he'll bring me back my favorite snack from Trader Joe's. And 
after you've done these simple things, um, prayer, uh, speaking life into the person, speaking the person's love language, those things are, are, it's the simple work, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Um, But you know where the real healing starts? It's being in that person's corner. Uh, Andy, as I was sharing with him this sermon, he was like, I'd love for you to include a personal example of you and Jake. And I was like, oh, I wish I didn't have so many. Um, But one of um, the examples I thought of is that um, Jake likes to debate. Like, he loves when somebody enters into a discussion with him and they, like, wrestle it out in words and they, you know, talk about topics and discussions and passions. And at the beginning of our marriage, when that would happen, I am naturally conflict avoidant. And so that passion would start to come up. And my natural inclination was to diffuse. But I never did it in a way that was honoring or respectful. I typically would make a joke at Jake's expense. And then Jake would give me that look, you know, the look that says, we're going to talk about this when we get home. And I was like, great, cool, cool, cool. And so we would get home, and he would share, hey, that joke wasn't funny. That actually hurt my feelings. And if I was sanctified in that moment, I would say, I'm sorry. But if I was feeling less than sanctified and defensive, I would say, well, you did X, Y, and Z, and that's why I said that. But that's not re- repairing a relationship, right? That's just blaming him for something that I was experiencing. Because what I learned after I searched my heart and prayed about it was that I felt like if I said that joke and if I diffused the scenario that I thought my friends would love us, which what it really said was that I thought my friend's love was conditional. But I searched and I did the work and I realized that if friends are getting into this conversation with him, that they want to be in it too. And they want to figure it out and they want to talk about it and they want to wrestle it. And nothing in that conversation was disrespectful or dishonoring between one another. I just was conflict avoidant and it felt like conflict, even though it wasn't. And so uh, there is one favorite topic that Jake likes to discuss And it even happened just two weeks ago. And so I sat there, and I was like, okay, 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 I can do this. I've worked on this six years of marriage. I can do this. And they had the conversation, and I sat there, and I worked on my breathing. I focused on getting my brain online, right? And they had it, and wouldn't you know, everything was fine. Everything was okay. No friendships were dismantled. I was still alive and well. But it took time for me to do that. It took searching my own heart, praying about it, figuring out what was causing me to respond in this way. And six years of marriage has shown that I'm in his corner. And that's the hard part of repair, right? Is saying, I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn from my behavior towards you and towards being in your corner. Uh, Jake and I like to use the language, I'm on your team. And so maybe that's telling your partner, I'm on your team. Maybe that's telling your friend that you've wounded, I'm on your team. But that's what what repairing of a relationship looks like. And Jake, he had to offer me grace. Because this wasn't, again, I said after six years of marriage. So there was plenty of years in there that I just did the old pattern of behavior, right? And I would try to do better, but I just hadn't gotten there yet. 
So Jake had to offer me grace each time, and he had to forgive. And when he did that, or when you do that with somebody that's injured, injured you, when you choose to forgive, you exercise a muscle of forgiveness. And when you do that, it develops and it grows. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. So the more you choose the kinder, the softer words, the easier it becomes. Uh, when I catch myself, um, before I want to say a sarcastic comment, I often will consciously choose to s say something kind instead. You know, because you like then there's a conversation going on, and you're like, oh, I, I can say something really sarcastic and be really funny, and people would laugh. If I can catch myself, I then will offer up something actually kind instead. Or maybe you've experienced this in conversation when somebody starts to self-degrade. They, you know, they choose that negative self-talk. Um, I actually will choose instead to stop them and say, no, no, you're actually really kind. Or I'll say something, it sounds super silly, but I say, listen, I don't let my friends talk about themselves like that. Because they don't realize it either, the words that they're choosing to talk about themselves. And so if we can pause them in their words, and we can choose instead to speak life, it changes everything. Proverbs 16.24 says this, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Um, I asked you earlier at the beginning of this time, our time together, if you remember the unkind words that were said to you. Uh, but now I'm going to ask you, do you remember the best compliment you ever received? The best compliment you ever received. Um, I once was told that I felt like a ray of sunshine. And that was the best compliment I've ever received. Because I generally feel like a Debbie Downer. I, I like to critique. It's easy for me to judge. Um, so when my friend spoke life into me by saying, you're just like a ray of sunshine, I remember those words. And they've stuck with me for years. And when I asked you what was the best compliment, you know, what was the feeling that bubbled up? What were those words? How did they just stick onto your soul in the best way? I just, guys, could you imagine if Encinitas was changed because of the kind words that we chose to speak? You know, when, like, when was the last time you said something kind to your, like, barista at Lofty? or coffee coffee? When was the last time you said something nice to the checker you see every week at Trader Joe's, right? What if the words that you used drew them to Christ? What if it drew them to that hike that you guys are gonna take? Because if they know that you're kind, they know that you're safe. And if they know that you're safe, they're gonna wanna know why. And we get to lead them to Christ with our kind words. Uh, can I tell you one of my favorite stories? Um, I call it my EGR story. Uh, I was in a class uh, back in college, and it was the first day of this class, and the professor, his name was Dr. Fanning. And this class that I was at was a 400-level class, and Dr. Fanning had taught a lot of, you know, under-level, you know, 100s and 200s. And if you're a religion major like myself, by the time you got to the 400-level class, you already knew Dr. Fanning right? And Dr. Fanning was like an all-star. Like he was the cool, he was older and wise and he had like crashed twice in the Amazon and all of a, in a plane. He flew the plane, he crashed twice, lived to tell about it. You know, Jesus 
did something with this man, right? And, uh, and I loved him because I learned so much about the Lord. I learned so much about being a missionary. I just learned so much from him. But this particular class you got to take if you were a pastoral studies major. I was on the uh, intercultural studies path, and if you were a pastoral studies, you could take this one class as an elective. And so when I got to this class on the first day, I knew most of the kids in the class because we had all been journeying together. And there was two or three that I didn't. And there was this one young guy. Gosh, I'll never forget him. He was sitting in the third row behind me. And Dr. Fanning, you know, he's just really quiet. He just talks really gentle. And he's just has a very gentle demeanor. And uh, we were going through the syllabus. And we come to find out that only two out of the four books were actually required. And the guy behind me was, just started mouthing off. I can't believe that you would. I can't believe that this guy would. And he just starts tirading, essentially. And you know those moments where you can just like feel the breath go out of the room, right? And we all just were like, what? And Dr. Fanning just was like, well, sir, you know, well, young man, if, you know, he starts answering and the guy continues to mouth off. I can't believe, do you think we just have more money than we know what to do with? Like, it just starts going off. And now I'm getting heated, right? So I like turn around and I was like, dude, you need to, like, you need to chill. This is like Dr. Fanning, you know, I'm gonna stop. And he's like, I don't care who this guy is. Just continues. And I was like, oh, this, this is gonna be one, okay. So I just turned around and I just, we're all like this, watching Dr. Fanning, like, how is he gonna, how is he gonna respond? And I'll never forget Dr. Fanning standing behind his podium. And he took off his glasses and he set them down. And he said, you know, class, this is a perfect opportunity to talk about people who are EGRs. And all of us were like, what's an EGR? What's an EGR? Do you know what an EGR is? I don't know what an EGR is. And he said, extra grace required. And all of us were like. And he just continued on with the class. And I was like, Dr. Fanning, you should kick this guy out of here. Like, he just disrespected you in front of a room of 30 people. Like, EGR. And now, and, and Dr. Fanning could have kicked him out. He could have chewed that young guy out and all of us would have given him a round of applause, right? This guy was, this young kid was 21. Dr. Fanning was in his 70s. But instead, he extended grace. And not only grace, but audacious grace. And, and that story happened, I mean, gosh, 12, 15 years ago, and I still remember it. It created a lasting impact on my life. It, Dr. Fanning figured out how to bridle his tongue, how to not be disturbed, how to choose grace in times when it would have been so easy for him to choose death with his words. And I so long for the day that I choose to respond like Dr. Fanning. I'm not there. I'm like nowhere near. But I know now when I lead my team at work, Sometimes we just have EGRs. And we don't choose to label them as difficult people. We don't choose to label them as crazies, right? Instead, we say, you know, they just require some extra grace. We have the power of life and death in our tongues. And we can use our words to tear down 
and destroy or to build up and edify. So what will you choose today? What will you choose this week? How will you choose to respond differently to the things that are said that cause you to feel pain? It's my challenge to you. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, you are so good. And Lord,